like to give everybody out there listening a very warm White Cat welcome because you're tuned in to the White Cat Outdoors podcast. something a little trappy tonight uh, i don't know what happened out there yeah um it was, it was getting pretty wild there for a second i was i was caught off guard i'm sure everybody else was but uh yeah so here we sit episode nine white cat outdoors podcast hope everyone enjoys it uh we got me white here recording tonight and sitting across from me we got the man tommy cat glad to be here everybody and right over there to my right is the other man nick soboleski hey what's going on everybody uh, yeah, we're doing good, doing real good. Um, so yeah, we're talking trapping tonight, so it'll be mostly me and Tom talking. Nick's just going to be asking stupid questions because he doesn't know anything about it. See, I'll just be a moderator, you know, try and break up the monotony here and there. Yeah, I feel that. We appreciate you. Some, I mean, you got to do something sometimes, Nick. Yeah, try and do what I can. Uh, Tom, I noticed you were making some gestures towards the window here as we were getting started. You care to share something with the class? Yeah, so I know last episode we started talking about, or started out the episode talking about how there was deer out by the feeder, and believe it or not, they're there again. Turns out corn really brings them out. Yep, just one lone doe out there munching on some grindage. Munching on some grindage. But yeah, she's out there by herself. And uh, yeah, let's let's get into talk about trapping. So we're going to start out with Frank just giving us a little input or info on how he got started. Oh, man. Well, everyone met my dad in the Alaska Elite Outfitters podcast, and he's big-time trapper. He's a real big trap guy. Um, so he got me into it. And I've never been, like, huge into trapping. Like, I was into it younger when I was doing it with my dad. And then I kind of didn't really have a whole lot of time for it for quite a while. But I uh, started getting back into it here the last couple of years with mostly cable restraints, which we'll get more in-depth with that later. But uh, yeah, so that's basically how I got started. The, f- the first time I ever went trapping with my dad, went back out behind the house and just put a couple of foot sets out for raccoons on the beaver dam out back. And the first animal that I ever caught in a trap, set the trap, next day I went back, was an absolute slobber donkey of a raccoon. It was monstrous. 26 pounds it weighed. It was insane. Such Such a big coon. So it was... It was a pretty good way to start off the trapping career. Definitely the biggest one I have caught since then. So, yeah, that was that was what got me kick-started into the trap world. How about you, T? Yeah, Tom, what, what, uh, what got Tom involved in the trap? What got me involved in the trap was the desire to run dogs for raccoons. I got some dogs and wanted to coon hunt with them real bad, and... Figured, you know, the best way to teach them 
how to you know Redfern Grove style. It, exactly. I didn't know anybody that coon hunted, so that's exactly what I did. Is I went straight off where the red fern grows, watched that movie countless times, and that's how I trained my dog. So step one was acquiring a pelt. So that's how I got into raccoon trapping, and we. At the time, I think I was, what were we, Nick? I was in, I think, sixth grade? Uh, you, seventh grade, because I was in eighth grade. I remember writing a paper on it. So but Yeah, yeah pretty I young. I didn't have two nickels to rub together at that time. So we, our first actual trap was a box trap we built out of old slab wood my dad had laying around in the garage. I think it's fair that you go right through. We're gonna, we'll do another monkey to man on our uh, homemade box trap. Well, actually, my uncle, backtrack a little bit, my uncle Kevin was into, like, showing rabbit dogs, and he had this box. Did you say rabid dogs or rabbit? Rabbit. rabbit okay, okay so they didn't have rabies. Yeah, no, no rabies. Okay, good. Um, so he made these box traps for rabbits so he could train his dogs. Well, he gave us one of these rabbit traps, and we got the bright idea that if it can catch a rabbit, it can catch a raccoon. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, it turns out that wasn't the case. The trap was much too small to catch a raccoon. The trap door just closed right on its back, and he'd walk right out. So then we decided, well, we better make one. And we made one out of plywood. Plywood would be a rectangular prism. Yes. Door on the front. Are you going to give us a geometry lesson tonight, Tom? I could if you want. I think so you we... were trying to give us a geometry lesson last week, too. Uh, maybe a new segment, you know, shapes with Tom. We, we could do that <laughs> if, if the viewers want it. I'm all, Write I'm... it in. If anybody you guys want shapes with Tom every week, maybe we'll start doing shapes with Tom. No, but we built a box, and we... I don't know why we didn't, like, finish the box, like, completely solid, but we decided that the, we wanted to look into the roof of the box... So we just nailed slabs of wood across the top, and well, get into how like the how the trap door was and everything. So like, basically, and how we designed like the ramp and everything to make the door close and stay open and whatnot. In the middle of the box, we put a triangular prism right across, going widthwise across the bottom, and we put a ramp that went you know to the back of the trap, and then we kind of like a teeter totter, if exactly, you will, exactly a teeter totter. And on the back, I of prefer the te- seesaw, seesaw teeter totter. Is that a shape? Tomato, tomato. But on the back of the seesaw, we had a wire attached to a nail that ran all the way to the front of the trap. And that nail is what held the door up. So when a raccoon walks in, tips the teeter-totter, pulls the nail out, door falls down. Simple math. You're a straight-up mechanical engineer. Yeah. We said we were still in middle school at this point. So this was, I mean, we were thinking revolutionary. Yeah. Start so, selling these things. Yeah. So... You know, we got top nailed down, everything, we're ready to go. We baited it with, like, this rotted perch. I don't know why. I think it was a sunfish. We caught it in the pond out back and then cut it in half, saved one for the next coon we for sure were going to catch. Yeah, so. And we actually, remember, we put a nail through the back of the trap and just nailed the sunfish to the back of the trap. Yeah, I don't know why. We just thought that was a good idea. But (laughs) set that out there, and I'm pretty sure it was night one, we walk down there doors shut we're all excited we walk up to the trap and there's nothing in there one of our boards is completely ripped off and i guess the raccoon didn't have too much trouble prying that using those up. hands of his to get out of well, the there trap. was only yeah. we put two nails in the board and it was going into osb so 
don't know how well it really real like sturdy. old barn wood that we were using. So we're like, oh, man, he just pushed that right out. Let's, let's screw it down. So brought her back to the barn, screwed it down. Next night we go check the trap. Doors closed. And we're like, all right, we got him now. So go up to our trap, and he chewed a hole right through the old rotted barn wood. So we're like, oh, we got to rethink our inks. So next what we do is we cover it in, uh, like, fencing. And like chicken wire? No, it wasn't not, quite not, like not chi- yet. No, it wasn't that. Um, it was just regular fencing, like had about a two oh, like by, chain like, link, probably, probably like a two by four opening. On oh, okay, I know yeah, what you're just talking yeah. about. Wire rectangles. Next time we see the door down, we're like, "There's no way this thing got out." Go up there. He just bent the fence wide open, poked his head right through the out, and out he went. So now we're like, "All right." We got him. We're going to wrap the whole trap in chicken wire. So he wrapped it like three or four times so there wasn't a gap this thing was going to crawl through. Mind you, by this point, this trap is like extremely heavy. I was going to say, that thing's like, probably got to weigh 35 pounds It was by pretty now. heavy, and we were pretty young. So, I mean, like lugging this thing back, like it took like two, three guys carrying this thing. It was not conventional whatsoever. <laughs> so we got this chicken wire wrapped box set. And next time we go down there, door's closed. And we're like, we got him. He's done now. Walk up to our trap. He didn't get out the top, but he, he did kick the plexiglass door right out. And you didn't mention the door was plexiglass. Tom. Yeah, we, well, we wanted to see inside after we caught him. So. Yeah. <laughs> then why did you leave the holes in the roof if you could see through the door? You're talking to a 12-year-old's mind here, all right? <laughs> it looked really good it on checks paper. out here. So I think next we did we yeah, fashioned a steel door. We fashioned a steel door, and to really lighten things up. Yeah, it, you're, yeah. But no, I, you, I know right where we're going. You're still with the uh, the wooden rails. Yeah, we had these wooden rails that the door slid down, and it worked really well until we got a rain, and when it rained, these doors or these rails would swell up and we had our traps you know the nail pulled out trap door should have went down but since the wood was so swelled up it just held the door right up so we're like we need to refix these rails so we got these metal rails that obviously aren't going to swell up with water and we think this thing is bulletproof so we set it one last time wired or Metal rails for the door to slide down. Metal door, completely wrapped in chicken wire. Rock solid, probably weighing about 50 pounds at this point. Set this bad boy. Go down there the next day. Door's closed. And we're all excited. We're like, there's no way this guy got out. We walk up to it, and sure as shit, there's a big old possum in there. And didn't he piss all over the inside of this wooden trap? <laughs> and I don't know if you know anything about possum piss, but it is not a pleasant smell. And I don't know if you know anything about wood, but it tends to soak things up a little bit. I want to stop you right there. I want to know any piss that smells good. Like you're specifying that it is the possum that has foul urine, but I have not. Well, once... I mean, I, I suppose it would be like compared to other piss. It would. It's like the worst of. I wouldn't say the worst of the pisses, but pretty bad it's foul yeah it's gross yeah i remember we tried pressure washing it and pretty much anything we could think of and we just we deemed that the trap was now unusable 
Yeah, we uh, pretty sure we left it sit there. And well, no, we got it back to the house, got the possum out of it. Obviously, tried pressure washing it, and then we did end up putting it back in the woods, closed the door, and thought maybe actually no, we we disabled the door, took the door off, took all the metal parts off of it, left the wood in the woods. Maybe a We're squirrel with its family. Yeah, where it should be. It's made of wood, so, so I figured it should be with its family. Yes, we put it out with its family, and let the squirrels turn into a home or something. It's probably still back there. If you if we were to go looking back in the woods. Well, you made it sturdy enough. It ought to last for the next few thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. Some architects, like, years into the future are probably going to find it and be like, what the hell is this? So going to be in some museum worth at, millions. Yeah. At this point. I don't we, think architect is the word I was looking for. Archite- I think you were looking for archaeologist. Yeah, but, you know, I, arc. We were going to let is, it slide, but if you want to call yourself out on it, yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, see, you're more of a shape guy, not an archaeological guy. Exactly. Exactly. But now, at this point, we've spent an entire summer trying to perfect our own trap. Well, we never really did any research on the price of a box trap. And for or less than talk an talk to my father, yeah, who had a or, bunch. Yeah. Found out for less than an Andrew Jackson, you can pick one up from your local tractor supply. I think they're like thirty dollars. Well, that'd be a little bit more than Andrew that, Jackson. Yeah, I was gonna say that's half over again. That's a, yeah. Uh, who's, well, we who, found is, out they're not really the, that expensive. Who's on the ten? Each. Thomas Jefferson. Is it? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay. Say it with confidence, and we'll roll with it. Yeah, it is. Well, okay. that's how many monies it takes. Or two Abe Lincoln's. Yeah, not a lot. Ten George Washingtons. Anyway, so we got one of them store fabricated box traps. Abe Lincoln's on a penny. <laughs> we got one of the store fabricated ones, and it was it was all over from there. We had you know the setup figured out. We just didn't have the trap knocked down. So once we got the trap, it, it was all over. It was game over. I I think the one year, the one season we caught what fifty some. Yeah, that, that was just was. yeah, that was yeah during coon season and like the fall, we uh it was like yeah almost fifty just out of box traps, no foot traps, no hunting, no nothing. It was just the box traps, straight up dog training. Yeah, so we had a good set of dogs. Well, that and that was just what we caught too. Remember, we had pretty much everybody. I in was town. catching coons. Yeah, we for had you everybody guys. in town that you know. There's not a single person that enjoys having coons on their property, and uh, so like everybody was trapping raccoons, giving them to us. We were running, you know two to three coons a day with our dogs just constantly training them. Yeah, they turned out pretty good for my first set of hounds that I ever traded. Oh, uh, real not good. Trained, not traded. Were you bartering with them? Yeah. What'd you get for them? Two chickens. <laughs> two chickens. <laughs> no, but that's kind of what got me started into trapping and raccoon hunting. Have you upgraded since then? From? From your metal wooden box trap? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have quite the arsenal of foot traps and conibear traps and cable restraints and what have you now. But that's what got me started in it. And once my dogs were good and trained, I kind of got out of the raccoon trapping and just ran dogs for raccoons for a lot of years. And then once I stopped doing that is when I kind of got myself back into trapping. I missed it and... I didn't do so much with the raccoon trapping when I got back into it a second time is when I really focused on the beaver trapping. And that that's good clean family fun. Before we get back into the beaver trapping and different types, you had mentioned that you were using uh foot traps and conibears 
and cable restraints. Do you want to go over kind of what each of those is for and like why you would use one over the other? For me, I use conibears mostly in water situations. I don't often use them on like game trails or something like that. I usually try and find a narrow creek in between like a pond and a feeder. So you're using these for like water mammals like you like, your like beavers, beavers and, and muskrats, muskrats. Yeah. yeah you're allowed to use them for like sort of like in a it's not really a box trap but it's like a cubby more or less you can put like put it in the door of the cubby and there's dimensions and stuff that you have to follow for it to be legal is that you, what you're using for the ermine right this real small no no no, no that, that, you did have a small little foot trap for that i remember yeah that was a foot trap no but like uh you can use them for uh, like fishers and stuff like that, the little cubbies. It literally looks like a box trap that ha- doesn't have a door. It just has two slots that you slide the conibear back in. So when they go to walk into the box, they get snapped. Yeah, I haven't really done much on land as far as conibears go. I usually am mostly just in the water. And, you know, when you're trapping beavers, you look, I I don't know what, I'm sure there's a lot of tactics out there that I don't know. But what I normally look for is slides. And, you know, the nice thing about beavers is they leave a ton of sign. They really let you know they're there. Yeah. So you'll find, like, sliding into ponds where there's spots where it's just completely packed down with mud where they're coming in and out of the water constantly out of that one specific location. So if you set your conibear just off, off that slide where... They got enough room to get down to the bottom and slide right into that trap. It's it's a very successful spot to put a trap. I've had a lot of good luck putting it there. And I've also had really good success in like cricks that connect a pond to another pond or Yeah, just those real of, narrow cricks yeah. that run between there some of them really you know, like a foot wide. Yeah, they're there. about as wide as the trap. Yeah. Which really works out nice. And Beavers typically only swim on the top of the water and on the bottom of the water. So what my favorite thing to do is you put a stick across the creek. So that's going to force them down to the bottom. Put your trap directly underneath that stick. And I usually spread. They're very territorial. So I'll spread just a little bit of caster. I use this stuff called beaver butter on top of that dive stick. What's the caster? It's just a... It's basically... How they mark their territory? Yeah, it's, a scent I guess gland. it's a scent gland. Oh, 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 so so the caster comes from the beaver, like so. Yeah, like you they have them in their from... body. Oh, okay. Yeah, when you're skinning a beaver, you can collect the casters. Yeah, it just looks, it honestly, looks like a nutsack. Basically, um, that's what it looks like when you pull it out, and they use it for like perfume and different stuff. So you can actually sell those, and right now you can actually sell the caster itself for more than you're getting for the hide. Right. So I don't sell them. I keep them and use them for future sets. And it doesn't take much, just a little bit. You rub it on that log, and all the mother beavers are going to get curious as to what new beavers moving into my area. And so they're going to swim down that channel. And as soon as you know they get to that log, they're going to dive down to the bottom and go right through your trap that you got set for them. And that's those two... The dive stick and setting them on slides are my two favorite sets for trapping beavers. So when you're setting like your dive sticks and stuff, is there any restrictions to like how many sticks you can throw out there? Like 
any technique to that? Or I guess like, because you said that like the, usually it's narrow channels, but like, can you just like put as many sticks as you want or how does that work? No, I believe you're allowed three sticks in like three. Um, you can you can make a funnel to if you have a real wide crick that you're trapping and you can use sticks to create a funnel to try and channel them right through your trap. But you're only allowed three of those. And I know your stakes that are supporting your trap count as those sticks. So basically, you have one stake on each side and then your one stick across the your top. Your guide stick, okay. yeah, to kind of channel them through that specific area. I mean, it's, I don't know the exact dimensions, but it's probably a, what, 10 by 10 square? Yeah. Close to that that you're trying to get them to swim through. All right. And I mean, just as a disclaimer too, we're talking PA and New York. Um, mm-hmm. law and stuff. So, I mean, wherever you're at could be totally different, but referring to stuff like that um, is New York and Pennsylvania because that's all we have experience with. Right. So, there's that and then there's scent mound sets that you can do and I usually use those with a foot trap because those, you put your scent mound, it's just basically a mound of mud and you put it not right, you can't be within what is it, 15 feet yeah. of a dam or a hut? So you get, you know, in whatever state you're in, you find out how close you can be, and you get just outside of that, and you put your scent mound, which is basically a pile of mud a little bit bigger than your fist, and take some sticks that I usually look and try and find what those beavers in that area are eating. Get some of those kind of sticks, shave them down so they're bright white, you know, make a real visual attractant. And shove those into the scent mound and then cover it in your caster, beaver butter, whatever you want. And you put a foot trap right in front of that in the water so they can't see it. And they'll come up and investigate that mound and you'll catch them in the foot trap, which works really well as well. Is there any other, sorry, is there any other ways that you use foot traps when it comes to like beaver trapping? I know we'll get into other species as well, but you can put them on a drowner. Do you want to explain what a drowner is, drown bag, uh, for people that aren't familiar with it? So, yeah, that's usually what I use when I'm doing my scent mound set is I'll I'll use a drown bag set up with, basically what that is, is you get, I use like a corn feed bag and I'll f- fill it with five or six big rocks, something real heavy that that beaver's not going to be able to pull. And you attach a wire to that bag. And you run your foot trap. There's on the back of the chain, there's a hole that you can put that wire through. And it's designed to only go down the wire. And when the beaver tries to turn around and come back up the wire, it, it's going to kink the wire and it won't be able to move. So you slide that trap all the way up the wire, up to your scent mound, throw your bag out as far as you can in the water it's got to be i usually like to try and find a spot that's at least three feet deep or even more and set your foot trap there stake it into the ground and when that beaver comes up he's gonna step on that trap and his instinct is gonna be to get away from it so he's gonna swim down and he's gonna swim along that wire and when he gets down there you know three feet deep and then he, he can't come back up the wire so he's just hence the name drowning bag yeah for lack of a better term yeah so he's a quick humane way for him to go out 
and it works really. I've caught a lot of beavers on that set. So it's, it's been productive for me. So besides uh, beaver and stuff, what other uh, species do you guys targeting when you comes to foot traps and maybe get into the tactics and whatnot? Uh, I mean, you for can other use, animals? you can use foot traps for literally anything. Like they're definitely the most versatile trap. Cause you can set them like Tom was saying in water situations, you can set them on land for predators, coons, possums, you know, anything that you want to catch on land. So they're definitely the most versatile trap. So if you're like just getting into trapping, I would definitely say that foot traps are a phenomenal place to start because you can do anything with them. There's so many different types of sets that you can set with them and different animals you can catch. So, I mean, there's like different sizes to the foot traps, correct? So mm-hmm. is there like, uh, obviously you just have to pair it to the animal you're catching, correct? Yeah. And it's all... I mean, it's not, there's not a specific science to it. I mean, if you have a trap that's... Don't get too far into science. You're only good with shapes, remember? I know. If yeah, you we have don't want to get you too far into it. Trap that's, you know, designed to catch coyotes, it's it's still going to catch raccoons. You know what I mean? That's yeah, actually- you size the trap to your animal because traps are designed to hold the animal, not hurt the animal. So... You know, like and I can contest that. I've caught my hand multiple times while setting traps, and there's that initial like sting when the trap snaps. Yeah. But after that, it it really it yeah you can, it literally just holds you. It doesn't mm-hmm. hurt. Now, if you catch yourself in a three thirty con bear, I was which just going to say. I think it's while we're on the topic, maybe get into well, something that every see, trapper, bears aren't meant to hold. They're, yeah, well, they, I guess they're holding it, but oh, they it's kill definitely it. going to hold it. It's not going very far. Yeah, bears are meant to kill. Uh, there's a little uh, thing that we've come up with that any experienced trapper has done or has caught themselves with a 330 at least one time. I don't know of any guy that traps that has not done it at least once. Yeah. And Pretty remember, much any trapper that you talk to will tell you that they do not own a trap that they have not had their hand in. Yeah, that's that's true. And foot traps, I've put my hand in ones designed for coyotes. And like Tom said, there's a little shock at the beginning, but... It doesn't break skin, and I've done it multiple times to prove a point because anybody that doesn't know trapping, they believe that it does hurt their foot and everything, and I've multiple times have been like, listen, I can, I'll can, i put my hand in it right now, and I've done it. It's not a big deal. But 330 Kona Bears is the size that you're using for beavers. And I remember me and Tom one time were setting up this dam uh, with traps all the way around it, and uh, we were basically, so the way those Kona Bears work is you've got like these two prongs in the middle that that's what sets it off, but there's what they call dogs on the side of the trap and that's what holds it while you're setting it. And I was holding the trap and we had pulled the, pulled the dogs off and I don't know why, but I must not have realized that Tom pulled the dogs off when I went to go like let go to set it down as fast Snap. <laughs> yeah, as fast as you could be like, Oh shit. It was too late and locked onto my thumb. And first reaction was to just yank it right out. Well, that pulled it right out of its socket. My thumb was like, that would be like the second knuckle closest to the palm of your hand was sitting like almost an inch from where it was supposed to be. It was kind of just like dangling down there. Like we thought it was broken. Turns out it was just dislocated. (laughs) Yeah, so I popped that back in. Of course, I yelled at Tom because it was clearly Tom's fault. Yeah, absolutely. When you're in pain, it's always somebody else's fault. Yeah, Tom was quick to remind me that it had nothing to do with him. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I just needed somebody to yell at and... You know, we, when you're this far back in the old beaver swamp. It's really nice when you get that situation and you're by yourself. Yeah. Well, Tom's caught himself before I was with our buddy Pete. 
uh, Tom caught himself with a trap, and me and Pete were both like, oh, shit, Tom's got his hand in that trap. And we didn't do anything. Better stand here and watch. <laughs> yeah, and that wasn't one finger. That was across all my knuckles on my one hand. Yeah, so. And we they're let, just standing there looking at me. And just I'm like, in awe, like, wow, can you believe? Little help here. Did you see he just put his hand in that trap? Wow. But I remember my dad almost broke his thumb doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, he, but it was just his thumb, and he, he didn't panic like I did. And it just snapped around the top, but his broke skin. But like I said, conibears yeah, are, Conor not, bears are meant a for, foot trap. Yeah, they have a totally different purpose. But And I remember when you guys were talking about, uh, you know, when you have like a coyote set, you know, sometimes you can catch something smaller than that. One, one of the beaver dams we were trapping one time, we had actually caught a fox squirrel in a 330 bear. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure he went night-night real quick. Yeah. And we've also caught ducks, They caught a duck in a 330 conibear. I've caught a duck in a box trap. We caught, I my, caught a crow in a foot trap one time. One of my favorite favorite ones is we had, well, actually two of my favorite. We had a squirrel in a box trap, and we had, it was right by a trail camera, and we had a, a red-tailed hawk sitting on top of the box trap like, I know you're right there. You can't get away, but I can't get to you. <laughs> Who's going to wait longer? <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And then another one we had, we had three live birds and one dead. So we walked in a... In, in a, a trap? In one yeah. trap, yeah. So we were walking up there. And what said, kind of bird? Blackbirds. Yeah, all three black, or all four blackbirds. And I remember walking up, and I looked at Tom, and I'm like, so which one do you think set the trap off? <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sure whoever, whichever one did it, they were not happy with it. They were just making fun yeah, of them so the we were, whole time. Uh, yeah, the joke being that the one that was dead was probably the one that set the trap off, and his buddies were a little upset. But uh, yeah, four birds it took for one of them to bounce on the trap. So that was pretty wild. There was one time I caught a snapping turtle in a conibear trap. Oh, I remember that. That thing was just totally... He was it, just chilling. He was fine. He had no go. idea. Didn't snap the shell? No. Well, that was actually... So we, that was like probably... It was right after Christmas. It was still in December. And What was he doing up That's what we said. Well, what, hap- what happened was there was like a couple... 60. This is probably two years ago. Yeah, there was a huge warm front coming through. It was like 60, 70 degrees for one day. And I don't know, the turtles must have just been like, oh, hey, springtime, let's go. Yeah, so he let's got go out. find some conibears. Yeah, haven't been out of here in months. Let's go uh, check out the rivers. And bam. But he, yeah, he was totally cool. We pulled him out and uh, took him home and released him. But uh, yeah, that was pretty wild. So you never know what you're going to catch. Yeah. Uh, pretty much anything you can think of. Neighbor's cat in a box trap had that. That's probably why my neighbors don't like me too much. <laughs> I did release it. I gave it back to him and told him. But I don't understand why she was upset because she had a problem with raccoons down by her creek and she had asked me to trap raccoons. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I can do that for you. And, and then she got mad when you had some bycatch? Yeah. And I mean, I, I didn't hurt your cat. I just didn't come home for a night. Like, I don't know what you want from me. Well, you put them up in a five-star hotel. Yeah. it was. I mean, they had food, shelter, anything they wanted. <laughs> what more could you ask for? But... He's pretty reluctant to let, get out of the trap, real happy with you? You know, not as happy as you think. They're actually pretty pissed when you try to let them I've out. never seen a cat be happy about being in a trap. I've never seen a cat happy, period. Yeah, cats are not great. Yeah, you put them point. in a trap, and it's just a lot worse. So you're saying the cats just weren't meant for the trap? No. 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 They're, they weren't meant for the trap life. No, so, I don't even know what he was doing in there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on a little secret here. Uh, boy, yeah, I'm going to do it. So for all you trappers out there, if you want, like, hands down, best raccoon bait out there. You better give credit where credit's due on this. Yeah. 
So I bought my coon hounds down in Alabama from a guy named Rick Rudolph. And I thought it was Randolph. Rudolph, no, I'm pretty Tough sure. To it say. was Rick Randolph, 100%. I remember the picture of with the dogs, and he was still in his pajamas. It's Rick Randolph. How does the picture with the dogs in pajamas... I have, like, a semi-photographic memory, and I can still see the email. Rick Randolph, and he's holding the tail. You know, it's curled, black and white. Bam. Rick anyway, Randolph. we're down there picking up these hounds. Call him Rick R. And, yeah, Rick R. Buying them from Rick R. down in Alabama. Actually, so... I wanted dogs in the worst way when I was in sixth grade, and my mom told me you, you can't. Wanted, you wanted a dog. Yeah, I wanted a dog in the worst way when I was in sixth grade. And my mom told me you can't have one during the school year. You got to get it in May so you have all summer long to train it. Which that was fair because how I am, if I would have got a dog in the middle of the school year, my mind would have been one hundred percent off of school and one hundred percent on that dog. So I got my dog in May, and that was, I had been smoking the World Wide Web for months, trying to find a breeder that had pups ready in May, and Alabama was the closest breeder that had pups available. It's nice and close. Yeah, very close. I think it was a slow jaunt from Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah, 14 hours I think we spent in the car, but we went down there for one dog from Rick R., and there's this one blue tick that just would not leave my dad alone. So we came home with two. But while we were down there, Rick gave us this little inside scoop on how he catches raccoons. And he uses dog food mixed with Kool-Aid sugar. Be Yeah, like dry dog food. Yeah, so dry dog food mixed with just just the powder, just the Kool-Aid sugar. You don't mix, mix it at all? It's just straight up powder? Yep. No water, <laughs> nothing. Just sprinkle the sugar. Right on there, and it. I've never had bait work so good. They take it straight to the face. Stuff's like a cane. Yeah, yeah. I they, remember. Yeah, he told us, and he's like, "I'll show you right now. You guys want to pull dogs out right now? We're going out there and we're going to catch some coons." Why don't you uh, next time you tell this story, leave the accent out? <laughs> yeah, I thought Maybe. it was pretty good. Thank you. That was exactly how Rick R sounded. But no, uh, so so we didn't actually. We totally discredited that. We didn't believe him at first. We went right back to our old ways of not catching coons. But once I got my dogs and started using the dog food and Kool-Aid trick, that's when we were bringing them in by the truckload. And that's why, back to my cat story, that's why I don't understand why the cat was going in the trap for dog food. Yeah, it doesn't check out. No, so it's really the cat's fault. I had nothing to do with it. You know, with that logic, why would a raccoon be going in after the dog food, Tom? For the The cocaine Kool-Aid. Mm. Raccoons are very curious animals. You get yeah. something that smells like dog food and Kool Aid, they're gonna be there. Perfect. <laughs> so there you have it. Dog. The food logic is there. Yeah. So that's yeah. Definitely that. Legit. As crazy as it sounds, dog food and Kool Aid is a great uh, attractant when it comes to check or catching coons. But you know, if you don't have dog food and Kool Aid, raccoons are they are not the most difficult animal to trap some would say the easiest to catch say if you're looking at getting into trapping probably start with raccoons yeah absolutely 100 percent. start with raccoons they are by far the easiest critters and you'll catch catch possums in the same sort of set and you know they're the same size you use the same trap for them so knock on wood i've never caught a skunk but i'm sure you you can catch they're good stuff 
you know, in a similar set. I hope to never do it. I really don't know what I would do. Probably well, call my Uncle Frank. and. Well, yeah, that was one of the reasons <laughs> I wanted him, him on tonight. We'll have to get him on later. But uh, I know he's released skunks out of foot traps yes, without he getting has, sprayed yeah. and alive. Yeah. he's According to him, I know he has shot skunks and he has released them. And he has had better luck with them not spraying, letting them out. And... I don't know what he does. I don't know if he sings them a lullaby or, Very or rubs their belly. I don't know what he what the hell he does, but he has not ever been sprayed by a skunk in a trap. And I don't know. He must be a wizard. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard that story many times, and I just can't get over how you could possibly do that or why he has the patience to do it. But props to him. Yeah. But we've pretty much we've covered the uh, your foot traps and your cona bears. I know, Frank, you've been into cable restraints for a little while, but Tom just recently got into cable restraints. You want to go through the process of what it takes to use cable restraints? Because it's not, it's not like just buying conibears and foot traps. No, no, you're going to have to go online. I don't know exactly what the website is, but you have to do an online course and get certified to If use. you go on, like if you're from Pennsylvania, um, if you go on the PA Game Commission website, they have like a search bar and you search like cable restraints. It'll take you to another website. It'll give you a link for a website. I think it's huntered.com. It might be hunter.ed.com. I don't really remember, but something like that. And that's where you can take your cable restraint course. It's, uh, I think, what is it, 35 bucks? Yeah, yep. 35 bucks? Yep. And it, it's just a simple course. You know, they go over notes and stuff. And I think then, it takes, what, two hours? Yeah, it doesn't take real long, a couple hours. So, yeah, you guys... You helped Tom kind of go through it right on the couch. It wasn't too long of a process. Yeah, we just sat and watched a football game, I think, and did his uh, cable restraint course. But it's a real easy course. You know, if, if you're paying any attention and reading the stuff, you'll pass it with ease. But, um, yeah, I started doing cable restraints a couple of years ago with my dad. and You know, I would have liked to get into it the same time Frank did. I remember he mentioned it to me. He said, hey, Tom how would you like to get into cable restraint trapping? And I said, I'd love it. And he said, yeah, I'm thinking about taking the course. And I said, perfect. Let me know when you take the course, I'll take it with you. And a couple of weeks go by and Frank comes, hey, I took my cable restraint course. I'm like, hey, thanks. You know, well, you're supposed to let me know. Sometimes these, <laughs> thanks. sometimes these things happen. Um I I thought I texted you and said something about no, it. And no, must no. have sent a letter in the mail. Took too long. It, mail, mail. Yeah, it must have got lost. It was the postman's fault, but I tried. I did my best for you, T. He's lying. I won't buy it. Well, eventually I sat there right with you and did it. Yeah, so. a year later. Ish. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, cable restraining, that's definitely my favorite method of trapping. And cable restraints, you know, they're it's very similar to a snare. Uh, but for PA, a snare and a cable restraint are different and you have to buy PA legal cable restraints and Frank's going to tell you the difference right the, yeah. now. Nah. The only difference is a snare is designed to, it's, you know, a, a snare is a cable and it's designed to, when the animal walks through it, it gets around their neck and it cinches down and it's the same like with the, the drowning bag that Tom was talking about. It only goes one way. So it'll tighten down, and the harder the animal pulls, the tighter it gets, and then it will not loosen up, so it'll suffocate the animal and kill it. A cable restraint, 
will relax. When the animal pulls on it, it'll cinch down, and then if the animal lets up, it'll relax, but it won't completely release, so the animal can't get out of it, but it won't kill it. It's just meant to restrain the animal, hence the name cable restraint. That's exactly what it does. I had a couple dozen cable restraints set out for fox and coyotes this past season, and I caught a raccoon in one of my fox sets. And when I walked up to this raccoon, it was literally sleeping, like not shook up at all. It was sleeping in the middle of the field with this trap around. Like it really causes no harm. Yeah, it's basically like animals. the same as putting your dog on a leash. That's literally all it is. It's like having a collar on a dog and chaining it up. It's it doesn't doesn't even ruffle their fur. You know, it's like it does nothing to them. And when they pull, it tightens, and they're like, oh crap maybe i should not do that so then they stop pulling and yeah it relaxes a little bit yeah and it's my favorite way of trapping because it's all blind sets so you're not attracting the animal's attention right to the trap you set it on you know you find a path where that fox or coyote whatever is running and you just put it hang it right in the brush or wherever it runs you got to pay attention when you're in brush and stuff because you can't be you can't have something that the animal will get tangled in so it's got to be, you know, your if you say your cable is five feet long, you can have up to a seven-foot cable. So you have to make sure that in that seven-foot circle, there's nothing that the animal can get tangled on. But um, And what do they consider a tangle? It's a, like a half, of, half, a half inch. inch. Okay. Yeah, and you can have, like if you cut off that half inch, say there's a branch right there that's half an inch, if you cut it off and then just stick it in the ground, that's no longer considered a tangle. Right, because it can get knocked over. And yeah, then, exactly. So you're saying anything out. less than a half an inch? No, no, greater than a half an inch. If it's less than a half an inch, it's not like... Oh, if, okay. So if you if have it's weeds... it's less than a half an inch, it's just going to get knocked over when that cable... Okay, so like if you had like a tree with like an eight-inch diameter or something, that's considered a tangle? Yes. Okay. Yes. If that animal can wrap itself around the tree. So if it's big enough and it couldn't get all the way around it, you're safe? Yeah, exactly, because then it can't tangle itself. If it can reach whatever it is but not get around it, then you're safe. Oh, okay. So in Pennsylvania, snares are illegal. It's just cable restraints. Yeah, you're not allowed to have a snare in Pennsylvania. Okay. It's only cable restraints. But, uh, yeah, so... That's the difference between the two. And when you're setting them, you literally just find, you know, like a run in the brush or like goldenrod or whatever, and just hang your cable right there. And that's why it's my favorite set because it's completely blind. You're not drawing the animal's attention to a scent or anything. And Tom will attest to this with foot trapping fox and coyotes. It's very difficult to get them to put their foot in the exact spot you want it when their attention is drawn right there to whatever scent or bait you have right there with the cable restraint it's totally blind so i don't want to say you don't have to worry about scent at all but it's almost a non-issue with scent because they're not even if they smell you they're not paying attention to you it's just like they're passing through so their attention's not honed in on one specific thing they're just running and you know hunting whatever you know if they're looking for a mouse whatever so they'll just run right through that hole in the brush that they run through all the time, and all of a sudden this time they're on a leash. And that's why I like it the most because it's, the it's I don't want to say it's the easiest thing to do, but you have a lot fewer factors to worry about when you're cable restraining as opposed to foot trapping, especially with predators. And, and that, time is a huge factor. You can hang 
the cable restraint in less than three minutes. Yeah, where, it only takes. Yeah, if, if you get good at it, you know, it takes a minute and a half, two minutes. You know, yeah. It's the real quick. longest part is getting your, you know, cable restraint out of your bucket and getting everything situated. And once you, you know, pound your stake in, it it takes no time at all. Well, and even just mobility in general, you know, yeah, you're they're a lot carry, lighter than a yeah, foot trap. Carry a dozen traps through the woods on your trap line versus a dozen cable restraints. I mean, it's mm-hmm. yeah, a, a dozen cable restraints weight. doesn't weigh anything, but a dozen foot traps is it's a lot of work. But that's pretty much. I, I did a little bit of cable restraint trapping this past year. This was my first year that you know I got my certificate and was legal to do so. But I've always done the foot trapping aspect of canine trapping and it's definitely a lot more work it's a lot more challenging but i personally enjoy it more just because the fact that you're actually making that set trying to draw them to one specific spot there's more of like a i don't know there's i won't i would definitely say there's more skill involved there yeah and i haven't really mastered that skill i mean i caught one fox this year this is the second year that i've really been after canines and I've had more traps dug up and flipped over than I can count. Yeah, they're smart critters. They definitely pay attention to every little thing. And when they put their foot down, they know exactly where it's going, and they are lightning fast. Yeah. One thing I uh, didn't realize until Tom got into cable restraints is that they're actually disposable. Like, you're really not using the same cable restraint over and over again, it seems. Not the cable. You can save pieces off of it, you know, like... Oh, so if you were going to set, like, a smaller size or something you could no no not like that uh like the lock on it you can take the lock off of the cable and put that on a new piece of cable to make a new cable restraint you know there you know that your um swivels and stuff you can take off but the actual cable usually does get ruined if you catch something so you can take the pieces off and then all you need to do is buy cable to make a new one yeah because once you know you catch an animal in that restraint that cable is going to get kinked up and whatnot from the animal pulling and then your lock's not going to slide down the cable is going to get hung up on one of those kinks you know preventing it from restraining that animal and that animal can easily pull itself out of that trap so yeah once once you catch an animal in a cable restraint that cable's pretty much shot but yeah you can pull pieces off of that cable and use it if you want to you can easily make your own cable restraints yeah, I noticed when you got into it, you and Dad went out to the store and basically what, you went to like Lowe's or whatever and just got a bunch of cable and got started pretty quick. Yeah, but uh, but I mean, foot traps, they're, if if you're using, you know, cheap generic foot traps, a coyote or a fox will bust them up pretty quick. You might only get a few catches out of a one before they're junk but the traps i use they're a really durable well-built trap why don't you actually yeah go over you know because if somebody's getting in into trapping name drop to this yeah go over like what uh trap you're using because i've noticed a huge uh i guess increase in quality versus like uh, we won't talk about the ones that we don't prefer anymore but why don't you just go over a little bit about the traps you are using now and why they're better than their competitors, if you will. So I'm using MB550s, and they're just they're very durable. Um, the chain is actually attached to the center of the bottom of the trap versus the side, which makes that really nice because I use earth anchors, which is 
I don't really know how to describe it. It's a piece of metal. Well, you can. Those are also easily homemade as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you can easily make those. And there's a lot of different styles of them. Basically, what it is, it's a piece of metal that you drive straight into the ground, and then it's attached to a chain or a cable. And when you pull on that cable, that metal turns sideways and locks itself into the ground. And that traps not nothing's going to pull it out. Nothing. We'll pull that trap out. No, nope. I believe you still have to eat and hat eat a hat because Nick pulled one out. Yeah, that's because it was. We're not even going to talk about that. <laughs> I think we should, just because you know you say it can't, but then I did. Is it my superhuman strength? Is that what it is? I think it a ten pound mind. coyote or at most ten pound coyote, ten pound fox, and it it the very largest a forty five pound coyote. Pulling, not straight up, but off to the side, will never pull these out of the ground. But I guess if you have a freak of nature like my brother, it's pulling with, I don't know how many tons you can pull. It's a lot. At least six or seven tons. Yeah, pulling straight up on it. Yeah. So, so you, why would you even make such a bet about eating your hat, knowing who I am? Your words were, I will eat my hat if you can pull that out of the ground. Anyway, so they're attached to the center. Here we so sit. You can hide that chain a lot better than if it's attached to the side of the trap. So, and they have, it's, I don't know the technical term for it, but so you set your trap and you push the pan down and you'll, once, you know, you, what, do you know what the, the stick that you put under the pan is called? No. I don't know what the technical term is. stick you put under the pan. Yeah, the stick you put under the pan. Yeah, basically to hold the pan. That's what trappers have been calling it for centuries. Yeah, so when you push your pan down, you'll hear just the slightest click. That's just on the MB-550s, right? Or is that all traps? No, I don't know if there's other brands that... But the ones we were that. using in the past didn't have that click. No, that, correct. It was kind of a guessing game, and that's a, yeah. one of the huge advantages to the MB-550s. Right. So when you push that pan down and you hear that click, you know that it's The pretty pan much, tension is really light. It's very light. So is when It's almost like a back tension release on the same way with that click. Yeah, almost definitely. it's like it's like setting it. It's letting you know, okay, it is about to go off. Yeah, like so it doesn't take it's about to go it's down. It's about to go down. So any movement to that pan is gonna fire that trap. Where even, even back up? No. Any downward movement. <laughs> Thank the, you. On the old traps I was using, they didn't have that. So you'd set your trap and then when you went to actually set the trap off. The pan, you could see it move down even if it's an eighth of an inch before it actually sets off. When a coyote or a fox steps down on that pan and they feel even that eighth of an inch move down, they got you figured out they're going to dig that trap up and flip it over and you're not going to catch that. Yeah, and if you like, if you watch videos of fox and coyotes, you can look on YouTube of them coming up to traps. And the way they walk is so ginger. You know, when they set their foot down, it takes them a long time to place every single step. And they move so slow when they're coming up to that trap. So any little bit of movement in that pan, 
they're going to notice and go, okay, I got to get the hell out of here because that's not right. Yeah, they walk very similar to how like Tom would exit the cabin in the middle of the night to go to the restroom. Exactly, very yeah. gingerly. Yeah. So let's not wake a single soul up. Let's just talk about a, a little bit of the strategy. We talked about what Frank went over or what he does for cable restraints on canines. So can can I talk a little bit about my favorite setups? No. Or, Oh, no, there you, you have it, folks. Sorry, there it folks. is. Well, I guess you're uh, not going to hear Catch it. you guys next week. <laughs> That's all we got. No, but... You you can do it, Tom. I'll let you. Northwestern Pennsylvania is... It's a very difficult place to trap canines because the weather fluctuates so much. That's what I was going to say that when I was talking about cable restraining. It was a really tough year for cable restraints because... All the freezing rain. Yeah, it was. there was a lot of freezing rain, which, you know, you, your lock obviously isn't going to operate at that point. And when you're trying to find those runs that they use all the time, you're not finding... I mean, you can still find tracks, but it's harder to find without snow. You know, if you have snow, it's prime cable restraint. Yeah, uh, you can but, see those tracks very easily. Yeah, so... With our, like Tom was just saying, with our weather, sometimes it's pretty difficult for trapping canines because of the huge fluctuations. But when it comes to foot trapping canines, I mean, obviously your first step is going to be finding a location. And pretty much any critter in the woods is going to run creek bottoms. I mean, it's a great source of water. So that's creek bottoms are a great spot to start you're telling me that creek bottoms are a good source of water yeah believe it or not little known fact i hear there's corn down there too yeah i could be wrong but usually there's not (laughs) it's usually just water yeah and rocks make sure you guys are really paying attention here tom's dropping just straight knowledge bombs well in your ears every animal needs water so another one where do they get it the creek bottoms okay jeez this (laughs) Goddamn airstrike coming through here of knowledge bombs. Tom's dropping so through here. So you got crick bottoms and animals. You guys might have known that there's water in crick bottoms, but you might not know that animals are actually pretty lazy. And That is a fact. Yeah. So if there's a trail through the woods, odds are they're going to use that trail. So if there's a four-wheeler trail or a bulldozer trail, old tractor trail, Animals are going to use that. Even like I've noticed this a lot with cable restraints since I started doing that a lot the past couple of years. One of my favorite places to put them, like if you have a decent bit of snow, when you walk your trap line to check your traps, if you walk like basically the same path every day, you're going to wear in a good path through that eight inches, 10 inches, a foot of snow. And you will have animals using that path that you put in because they don't want to traipse through that foot of snow. They will walk in your path. That's where, you know, I say your scent really doesn't matter because they care about ease of movement before they care about the scent. So I like to hang cable restraints right where I walk. If I'm, you know, digging a hole right through that snow where I'm walking, I'll hang a cable restraint periodically along my path just because I know animals will use it because they are so friggin' lazy. Yeah, that's actually a good that you brought that up because I was actually I was listening to another podcast this morning. I don't know if you guys listened to Hunting Beast with uh, uh, Dan Infault, but uh, he's over like Wisconsin, Michigan area. But uh, he was talking, he's big into like swamps and hunting whitetails out of swamps, and he really successful at it. I mean, he was nicknamed the serial killer for deer. So, or the big buck serial killer, sorry. But anyway, he was talking about, about 15 years ago, 
he had used a machete and cut his way through a uh, cattail swamp. And to this day, you can still see it on Google Maps because like after he cut it, deer have continuously used it ever since. And it's the same with any game. If you create an easy path, they will continue, use it. Yeah, they're yeah. going to continue to follow it. I mean, I've even seen, you know, snowmobile tracks are usually like in the wintertime covered in deer tracks in any sort of game. Mm -hmm. uh, even I've had, you know, you walk to your stand in the mornings, like on a, on a, like when there's been a lot of snow, when you walk out, usually there's deer tracks in your boot tracks. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All pretty much any animal is lazy. And if you give them an easy way to walk, they will take it unless, you know, they're scared. Obviously, if you're pushing deer, they'll go to the, or the, a shot deer will go to the thickest, nastiest shit it can find. Yeah, but they, they love doing that. They sure do. But in normal situations, animals in general and people in general are lazy and will take the path of least resistance. So yeah, trails, trail intersections, because that's two trails coming together, two or more trails coming together that those animals could possibly be using. Also, creek bottoms. Creek bottoms. You got trails and good source of water. Getting out of the woods, you know, obviously they're going to come out into the fields to mouse and whatnot. You know, get some food. And Did you just use mouse as a verb? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the verb of looking for a mouse. Yes, mousing. <laughs> <laughs> when a fox and kind it is a real verb. Yeah, it is a verb. But they are they're very weary creatures. So when they come out into a field, a lot of the times they're going to come out at the high point of that field so they can see the entire field, make sure there's no predators or whatnot in that field trying to get them. So, Tom, I thought fox were predators. Yeah, but uh, coyotes are a predator to the fox. How about that? So, yeah, believe it or not. So high points in fields, if you've got like a rolling hill, like right along the crest of that rolling hill in your field a lot of time you'll find sign there but actually yeah once you find that good location my favorite set is the classic dirt hole set for canines or in general honestly in in general i've caught a lot of raccoons in a yeah, dirt hole sets are pretty clutch for coons. That's yeah. Another, I mean, because I didn't even realize when we first started getting into trapping, uh, Frank's dad gave us a little book um, that had all different types of traps or like trap sets and techniques. And I had no idea that there, I didn't really like, I don't know. I just you just kinda, set them out there. Well, and... I kind of <laughs> almost thought it like trapping a mouse in your house. You just put the trap with a little bit of peanut butter and good to go. You're good to go. There's actually And you like, put it right on the pan, right? Yeah, of course. We've actually, we, yeah. We've, yeah, so why don't you. Not ashamed uh, to admit that. I have done that before. I said I we thought it was doing. like trapping mice or meese if you're talking plural. Uh, you were mousing if you <laughs> Yeah, will. we were mousing. Uh, so why don't we, while we're at this point, go over like the different uh, techniques for setting a foot trap. Uh, we've kind of gone over cable restraints and conibears and stuff, but we haven't, we did, you know, for beavers, but get into like your foot traps, your dirt hole sets. And That's I know you. what I was doing. Shut up, Nick. Interrupted. <laughs> I, don't, I can't recall. Were you interrupted by who? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I started with one of my favorite sets is the dirt hole set. And then that that's when you came in. Talking stupid. And said, why don't you go over some of your favorite sets? Well, is that one of your favorites? Yeah, dirt hole set is one of my favorites. Well, all right, then what are we waiting for? So when you're making a dirt hole set, the biggest thing is you got to find an area where... Fox and coyotes are going to be running, whether it be your creek bottom, your trail intersection, the 
crest of a rolling hill in a field. When you got your location picked out, you got to find a little bit of backing. And what that is, is that's going to be something to... That you put on your fly reel. No, that totally different. Oh. There is backing on a fly reel, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is something to stop that animal from working that set at different angles. That backing is so they can only see in your set from one direction. and The it way be, you want them to approach. Right. It could be... Well, yeah, you're getting into how you were saying where you're... You know, fox coyote has the ability to walk wherever the hell it wants. You're trying to get it to put its foot in one tiny little spot. And that's so always, that's what I my favorite aspect about trapping is when you're deer hunting. I mean, when you're rifle hunting, you're trying to get a deer to step in a 100 foot radius. When you're archery hunting, yeah, 100 yard radius. When you're archery hunting, you're trying to get them to step into a 30 yard radius. And when you're trapping, you're trying to get them to put one foot. On a, on two a inch two pan. inch pan. That's that's what gets me excited about trapping. But so you can use for. Would you say that that's what gets you outside trapping? Yeah, trapping absolutely gets me outside. Brilliant. So backing could be, um, it could be a rock, a little tuft of grass, a stick. Change in topography, if you will. Yeah, like a yeah, exactly like a little mound in the ground or something. But what recently what I've tried and I had a lot more success with is you still wreck coyotes and fox are very weary creatures and they're going to want to be able to work a set from every angle. Yeah. They will completely circle it. If so at all possible, which, and they'll do that over several days. I remember when we first started getting into fox and coyote trapping, me and Tom would have traps set and you could actually see fox in coyote tracks go like around the trap several days in a row before they actually commit to going and seeing what's there. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I first started out, I would set it so like my trap was tucked back into a bush where they could only, you know, work it, come into that trap one specific way. They couldn't get around it and I didn't have much luck that way. But what I started doing was having your trap more out in the open with your backing where they can work around that backing. They're not going to be able to see in your hole from behind it, but they can still easily get back back there. So if you have... It makes them feel more comfortable and in control, even though you're, you're pulling the wool over their eyes. Exactly. So if you have, you know, out in a field, you have your hole dug into the ground and you put, you know, like a branch with a couple sticks coming off of it tucked behind your hole... If they go, they can still go behind it without any problem, but they're not going to be able to look down that hole. Well, that, and if you put like that stick like that, um, like going back to what you said where coyotes and fox know exactly where they're stepping. If you pile up like sticks or like a branch like that, they're not going to step on that because it's an uneven surface and they can't. You know, like I was going to say that like it right in front of your trap to get them to step on your pan, you know, a few inches in front, you don't have to put a pile of sticks. If you put a piece of goldenrod right in front of your set, it will step over that piece of goldenrod and you just make it so that they don't want to step there. They want to step just over it right to your pan. Right. Boom goes the dynamite. So what I do is I get my backing and then I dig my, actually I don't, what I do is I I have a piece of PVC pipe. It's about a, I don't know, two inch diameter. It's plastic. I'm not putting it in the earth. 
I only put it in the earth briefly, briefly, and I take it out. And what I do is I put it in at a pretty steep angle. It's not straight into the ground. It's at a steep angle, and I pound it in about 12 inches. So you got a real deep hole, and you pull it out, and you got a real nice hole. You know, at a steep angle that you dig it in a way so they can, if they're off to the side of that hole, they're not going to be able to see down it. That you, they have to be directly in front of that hole, right on your trap, to look down that hole. So you dig your hole, and usually what I do is I use like a meat-based bait. You put that down there, and I usually cover that with some lamb's wool. Tuck that down in there so that looks like a rabbit or a squirrel or something. I don't really know. Where do you buy your maybe lamb's a lamb? Got um, prettysheep.com. Yeah, no, it's a. <laughs> Guy out in Union City is where I get it from. That's actually good. We should try and get him on the podcast for some trapping because that guy's got some pretty good knowledge when it comes to. I guess we'll have to do a trapping episode. Yeah, I'm all the trap. So you tuck your bait down there, and then I have a little piece of rebar. It's about you know 12 inches long, and just on the outside of my hole, I pound two holes into the ground, smaller diameter than your pinky, and that's where I put you know your gland scent or your long distance collar i use a lot of gland scents like during their mating season and like a long distance collar they have like a it's real skunky odor really they can smell it from a long distance so if it's a spot that i'm new to trapping and i'm not sure if there's a lot of fox or coyotes in that specific block i'll use that long distance collar to try and bring them in but so you got your whole about 10 inches, 12 inches dug into the ground. You got your meat-based bait, a little bit of lamb's wool, some gland scent, and that's going to be your that's your dirt set. And then the, the biggest part is bedding your trap. So what you do is you dig a hole that's about the size of your set trap. And you want to set your trap in there so it does not shift at, at all, all. like Literally, it's got to be yeah. rock solid i when i'm digging my hole i keep all that dirt off to the side and then once i got my trap in there i pack as much of that dirt back in there so it's rock solid it doesn't shift at all like it's got to be 100 percent solid because if a fox or a coyote steps on you know either side of that pan and it feels it shift even the slightest bit their attention goes from that hole to your trap and they're going to dig it up and you're going to go up to a set where your traps dug up and flipped over on its side every single time. And it's happened to me countless times. And that's why I'm saying earlier that Northwest PA is a very difficult place to trap because during the trapping season, you get a lot of freezing and thawing. So that freezing and thawing, obviously it's shifting the ground. It's going to shift your trap. And what once was a solid bedded trap might not be so solid after several freezes and thaws. Yeah, or if you catch it in a freezing phase, it might freeze your trap solid. And exactly. you, there's things you can do to combat that, but exactly. and what you can't I, do it completely all the time. What I do to combat that is, you know, even before I set my traps out, the first, very first thing I do is I boil them in water for about 10 minutes. And that's to get all the scent off of them, completely scent free. And then after I boil them, I dip them in melted wax and take them out of the wax 
let them dry and then they get that you know solid coating of wax on that's going to help them freeze so you got your wax coated trap and once you get it bedded then what i like to do is i use wax dirt which is just basically a mixture of dirt and shredded wax and oh they got really clever with the marketing on that one yeah they should just lazy (laughs) nicknaming yeah so you got your wax dirt and then you fill in the rest of the hole with your wax dirt and that wax dirt it doesn't freeze so you know if you do get those freezing temperatures your trap is still going to trigger if it gets set off so once you get your trap bedded and covered in wax dirt that's now you got to camouflage it so you take some of the dirt that you used when you or some of the dirt you set aside when you dug up your hole and i use like a a sand sifter put your dirt in there and just sift a little bit on top you know cover up all that wax dirt so you got good natural soil covering your trap and you got to pack all the way around it super solid because if a rat or a fox or a coyote steps you know they're stepping around your set it's all solid and they step on an area that has been you know obviously graded and it's real fine and not packed you they you they lost their attention to that set and now it's on your trap again so you have to pack all that dirt completely solid and then you know if you're in the woods you want to cover it back up with leaves make it look 100% natural like you were never there and also another important thing to do is when you're you know packing your trap you want to make sure that your pan is the absolute lowest point but it can't be like super obvious you want it just to be you know slightly lower than the rest of and not like a sharp change it you know like a real light like just a slight little cup and because naturally they're the fox or cows they're going to want to put their foot at that low point so it's just like when you know like in elementary school when you're leaning against the wall and class you know you always like run your finger through the the lines absolutely in the block yeah it's the same way i actually i still do that in college i'm not gonna lie right exactly you're bringing back some way back memories remember like when you had to line up in the hall underneath the one metal strip yep yep Mm -hmm. yeah see fox and coyotes are the same way so apply your elementary school stuff to fox and coyote trapping yeah so make sure that pans at the lowest point and then just outside like just off the edge of that pan, like Frank said, you just put like a little tiny twig or a piece of golden or something, not something that's really going to draw their attention to it, like a big twig or a, a rock or something. Yeah, literally a just piece li- of grass or golden rod. Yeah, just something where they'll step over that onto that low point. And this is where those MB550s come into play because they'll gingerly, you know, just set their hand or paw. I was going to say to on who's who's putting spot. their hand on What are you it? catching? Fox and coyotes. They'll gingerly just set their hand, paw, paw on that <laughs> low spot. And Do you want me to make fun of you again? No, you're good. <laughs> and they're not going to like immediately apply all their weight. They're very gingerly going to you know, slowly start applying weight. And if On their hand or their paws? Their paw. And if you're using a diff- another kind of trap that doesn't have that, you know, stage where it, it clicks and then it's on it's like, like a set trigger yeah exactly if it doesn't have that set trigger when they're slowly applying their weight 
they're going to feel that pan move just a little bit before it sets off and they're going to back off. But with the traps I use, when you have that set trigger, the next time it gets pushed down, that trap's getting fired. So they slowly start applying that weight. And when they apply the required weight to set that trap off, it immediately goes off. And ideally you get, you know, catch well above that joint. So they're not going to, they can't slip they out. They can't slip out. I've heard of people catching them, you know, right by the toes or something. Mm-hmm. But it's it's been a learning curve for me. That's what I've had the most success with. But I've also it's it's kind of like a love hate relationship, really, because oh, well, they'll get you fired up. Yeah, I've had you know days where it snows and you go up to your set and there's tracks completely covering it, but you know they just didn't step on your pan, but. One of the biggest things that I've run into is, you know, we get snow and then it thaws and then your dirt hole fills up with water. And it's just, it's a pain in the ass. So, um, it's, season's pretty much over now. And I tried something new. It's called a PVC set. I'll explain it here in a little bit. But I set it out and then like the next day we got this big snowstorm. So, like, we it pretty much got completely buried in snow. So I don't really, I'm not, I haven't given it like a fair judgment yet. I'm absolutely going to try it next year. But basically, what it is is you pound a piece of C- PVC pipe into the ground and leave about you know 15 inches sticking out of the ground. And that PVC pipe is going to be a good visual attractant. They're going to see that. They're curious animals. They're going to want to come investigate it. And on top of that, or in the top of that PVC pipe, you're going to stuff it with like sheep's wool or something, something that's going to hold scent. And then you're going to, you know, wipe your long distance collar or your gland Whatever scent. Whatever you may be yeah. using. On that sheep's wool. And then, I, I didn't mention this, but. Um, when you're making a dirt hole set, usually for coyotes, I if I'm, you know, targeting coyotes in that specific set, I usually put my trap nine inches back from the opening of that hole. And fox, it's closer to six inches back, but I've caught fox in a coyote set. Like it, if you set it nine inches back, I'm not saying you're not going to catch a fox in it, but it's yeah, just, it just obviously they have different stride lengths. So yeah. you set traps differently same with cable restraints you use different strokes for different folks that's what they say for cable restraints you, know, you use like a 10 to 12 inch hole for coyotes with your cable and for a fox it's six to eight inches so right and yeah. not to say you won't catch something you know you it amazes me that you catch raccoons in cable restraints because it's any set is high enough for them to walk underneath, but they always <laughs> jump they through. They have to jump. They like, do <laughs> have to jump. That's no joke, and they will jump. They're yeah. idiots. Yeah. Like they're the exact opposite of a coyote or fox. Like they like fox and coyote are like I need the easiest, safest way through here. Coons just Coons go like, bumbling. Through. Oh my god! Do you, do you see that hoop up there? Let's see if we can't just jump right they're through like it. They're like stupid ass circus animals, right? But. So you got your PVC pounded in the ground, stuff the top with wool, put your scent gland or your long distance collar on it. And then usually what I do is I'll set two traps around it. I'll look at the layout of it. Exactly. And I'll put one on the high side and one on the low side. If I'm targeting fox, nine inches from the PVC. 
If I'm targeting coyotes, nine inches from the PVC pipe. If I'm targeting fox, six inches from the PVC pipe. And what I've, I've researched it, and usually you put these like out in the field where they're going to see it from a long distance. And you don't need any backing or anything because they're going to come up to that PVC pipe and they're going to feel comfortable walking 360 degrees around it. So that's why you put, you know, a trap on either side. And when they, you know, finally commit, they're either going to work it from the high side or the low side, which is where your trap's going to be. And the advantage that gives you in this area is if it rains or, you know, snows and melts, there's still, still going to be have a visual. You attractant. still have your visual and your scent attractant because a coyote or a fox, they have an incredible nose. If your set gets rained on, they're still going to smell it. So it's not filling up with water. It's not getting completely buried in snow. It's always going to be there, you know, unless you get like a two foot snowstorm, which is exactly what I got. But that doesn't often happen. So I think next year I'm going to give that, you know, a longer chance than, you know, I only had it out for a week. But so I'm definitely going to, and like I said, I had that bad snow, so I'm not really giving it a negative review yet. I really think it's going to be a positive component to my canine trapping, but I don't know if you guys have used it and you're out there listening, let me know if you've had success on it or if you haven't had success on it, I'm curious to know, but yeah, that's as far, or there's that. And you know, if you can find a trail, like Frank was talking about with the cable restraints, you can put a foot trap on that trail too. And catch them on a blind set and actually blind sets have worked pretty well with us especially for raccoons in the past yeah we've done really well on blind sets and the nice thing with a blind set is you don't have to be as particular with how you bed your trap when i when i bed my trap i still try and make it solid but it can have you know a little bit of wobble to it because when that animal is running down that trail they're not putting their foot down gingerly they're just trotting right along so they're not focused on, oh, the ground just shifted right there. I've got to dig it up. No, they're just trotting down. So they're going to put their foot down hard. And if they hit that pan, you're going to catch the animal. If they miss the pan and they step on the side of the trap, they're just going to keep going. They're going to be none the wiser. And you'll probably catch them the next time they come down that trap so or that trail. So you got your PVC sets, your dirt hole sets, Blind sets. blind sets and there's one that i haven't tried yet my uncle swears by it it's uh log crossing their crick set which is basically just another type of blind set but it it hones them into a more specific spot you know it's it's not you know like it doesn't draw them to doesn't draw their attention to a specific spot but it's basically like setting it on a trail because you know, for some reason, fox and you know animals just love crossing logs to get over cricks and stuff. They don't. Well, they'd want much to. rather do that than get their feet wet. Exactly. Blame them. The yeah. Water's cold. Again, back to the lazy thing. You know, they don't want to go down into the crick bottom. They want to walk over something easy, so they will cross a log. So, my dad's all-time favorite set for any type of trapping is a log crossing set, and basically you just cut a V into the log and set your trap in there and. Like Tom was saying, you know, they're just, it's the same with a cable restraint, any blind set. They're not 
focused. They're just running. They know, okay, I want to get from point A to point B. And they, they've ran across that log hundreds of times. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, they know I've gone across this log. It's safe. Yeah. I don't, I'm not worried about nothing. Yeah, so they go running over to it, planting their feet hard, just trotting along. If you've ever, you know, been in a deer stand watching a fox run through a field, they're not gingerly walking. You know, they're just getting from point A to point B. They're just going. And it's the same way with that log crossing. They're just moving across, and, you know, if you, they might put their foot right on your trap. They might not, but like Tom was saying, if they don't put their foot on it, they don't even know that there was a trap there. They just move right past it, and everything's fine. If it didn't go off, so what? You'll get them next time or the time after that. You know, eventually you will get them because they don't care that it's there. So yeah, you got your dirt hole, PVC blind set, log set, which is basically a variation of that. And those are, you know, the main tactics. I haven't used the log set, but I'm 100% going to use it next year. I, I think you, Dad caught four, four or five fox on the same log this yeah. year in one spot. Yeah, but those are the tactics I know and that I use. I don't know if you listeners out there have anything that I didn't go over, but feel if you free do, to write in. Yeah, absolutely, write in. I'm always looking for new information, new tactics to try, because I mean, what works for one person might not work for someone else. So it's always good to have you know a big arsenal of tactics because even if you do it the you know the same type of set if you do it a slightly different way you know sometimes hearing someone else's perspective might change just a little bit of how you do something to change your success yeah so yeah we're always looking for new input new info because you know we're always getting outside and looking for new ways to better our tactics because by no means do I consider myself an expert at anything outdoors I mean I've been successful but i learn something new just about every time i go out into the woods so Mm -hmm, for sure if you have any knowledge you could drop on us we always appreciate that we always look forward to hearing from our listeners so yeah while we're on the uh topic of dropping knowledge and stuff before we leave the trap i think it's uh appropriate that we do a little write it in pen Uh, i don't really have much for write it in pen on trapping but i know these two guys have heavily been in the trap house for quite some time. So if you guys could leave us with a little bit of, you know, a little write it in pen segment. Frank, why don't we start with you over there? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll have everybody get their pen out. Um, wet the quill? Wet the friggin' quill. So mine pertains to cable restraining. And this came from several years of being pissed off at my traps or my cable restraints. Uh, I'll use this as an analogy because everybody has done this. Uh, you know, you go fishing with your buddy, you know, you got two, three, four rods and you throw them in the back of the truck or in the back of your uh, car, whatever. And, you know, it seems like they don't move at all. But by the time you get to where you're going, those things are so friggin' tangled up. You, it takes you 20 minutes just to get them untangled so you can put them in the boat and go fishing or whatever. And it's the same way with cable restraints. You throw a dozen cable restraints in your trapping basket by the time, you know, and you can perfectly coil them up, do whatever you want, but by the time you get to wanting to set them, it's going to take you 20 minutes of untangling a rat's nest of shit to get your cable restraints out. So what I like to do is put them, you know, get a gallon Ziploc bag and put each individual restraint into that bag, and it will save you a ton of time messing with that rat's nest. Wait, so you're, 
you're, each one gets its own bag. Yes, so correct. Okay. Yeah, get you know if you have a dozen traps, get a dozen Ziploc gallon bags and put each cable restraint into a bag. That way, you can just grab a bag and pull it right out. There's no chance of them getting tangled like that. It just saves you a ton of time. And like I said before, you know, it scent doesn't really matter a ton when you're doing cable restraints, but it's not something you want to completely disregard. So the less amount of time you can spend at that trap or at that set, the better. So if you can save yourself two minutes of untangling traps and, you know, it causes, it gives you headaches, you know, it's a pain in the ass. So if you can save yourself a couple of minutes, do it. And that the Ziploc bags is 100% great way to save time. So write that in pen. Tom, we're uh, turning the spotlight over to you. Write it in pen from the trap. Years of you being at the trap, what would you have to let the listeners know? Boy. Well, you really took a stance there. He was, yeah. he was loading up for that one. So my write it in pen is going to pertain mostly to beaver trapping because i've had a a lot of sticky situations when it comes to beaver trapping i've fallen through the ice i've caught myself i saved your life yeah so in a pretty stupid manner but we'll talk about that later yeah after this write it in pen somebody remind me we'll go through how i saved someone's life if you are you know just getting into the trap world and you know you're just starting out and you're wondering, is the trap for me? Especially, you know, when you're trapping beavers or muskrats where you're in water or on ice. I would write this in pen, start with a buddy, because there's been countless situations where I would have been really hosed had I not had my brother Nick with me. Like the time I fell through the ice, I got a little bit too close to the dam checking things out, fell through up to my chest, and, you know, he pulled me out. I got myself caught in a trap where I don't think I would have been able to get myself out of it because it was my entire hand. Would have been walking home with a trap on your hand. Yeah, so... Imagine driving the S10 with three through... No, everybody merge. Merge. Everybody merge. I mean, obviously, I still would not consider myself experienced when it comes to beaver trapping. I've been doing it for... You've been at the trap for a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, probably five or six years I've been very successful successful trapping beavers that's probably what you know I have had the most success with and what I'm most knowledgeable about is beaver trapping but I still learn things every time I go out and those first couple years I definitely learned a lot and I was definitely very thankful that I always had someone there with me to catch me when I did something stupid like you know fall through the ice so when you're just getting out there, you know, and you don't really know what you're doing, especially if you're trapping beavers through the ice or just in the water for that matter, I would definitely recommend getting a buddy that's into it too and starting with them, just, you know, being safe, taking precautions because it, I've you seen, never know what can happen. Yeah. I've had some bad luck when it comes to it. And I was always glad I had someone there with me. That's perfect. Now, now that we got over the right in pens, why don't you tell everybody the little little story of how Tommy the cat went through the ice. So we were up at the uh, White Cat Outdoors headquarters up in Clymer, New York, and we have a beautiful beaver pond up there, a couple dams, a couple huts, it's beaver heaven up there. And we were up there one year, and 
you know, it was a cold, cold winter. And we were out there trapping beavers through the ice. And I was just checking things out. I got a little bit too close to the dam where the water was still moving a little bit, thin the ice out. And yeah, I fell right through. And I was kind of shocked because, you know, you drop into 35 degree water and it kind of tenses your muscles right up. And you really. That one puckered up my butt. Yeah. <laughs> like I was once on top of the ice and now I'm eye level with it. Yeah. And. If you haven't fallen through the ice, it's definitely something you never want to do. Yeah. It's a terrible feeling. Like, you can't breathe. You can't move. It's not a good time. And I don't know Straight how... Straight up not having a good time. <laughs> yeah. Zero out of ten would not recommend. It's It sucks. <laughs> and then you got to go home in soaking wet clothes, and it's just... It's not fun. But... Well, you weren't... We actually... Well, we'll get to that, but we ended up having to strip you out of everything pretty yeah. much because when you're... When you get wet in your clothes, like it's it's actually safer to get all of the wet clothes. Yeah, off you're better of you. off naked than with clothes on and wet. Yeah, but anyway, so there I am, looking like an idiot, bobbing up and down in the water. What's new? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know how it happened, how Nick didn't go through, but he walked right up to the edge of the hole I fell in, <laughs> grabbed grabbed me by collar. the arm, and pulled me right out, and. You know what the safe thing to do would for the listeners out there would either be have a set of ice picks with you, or have a rope that your buddy can throw to you and pull you out with the rope, not walk out to the hole. Yeah, definitely not safe yeah. ice management practice. I would not recommend that tactic. It worked. I'm glad it worked. But for future knowledge, I would definitely have a set of picks with me, or a rope where. I can get pulled out by a rope so my buddy or brother doesn't have to come, you know, right to the thin ice where I just fell through. Yeah, it did work, but like Tom said, it wouldn't recommend it. But yeah, then we had to get him out of his boots, his socks, his pants, and everything because, like, it's just hypothermia can set in real quick if you decide to stay in wet clothes. And let's be honest, we weren't done setting traps. No, we had to so. finish. We only had, like, two or three set out at that point, and we had... Once you're outside and cold, you might yeah. as well stay outside yeah. and cold. So, yeah. No, I, you should definitely get. Warm I think as I soon actually gave. I ended up having like. I think I gave you my socks or something, just so he had some dry for his feet. Because they, your feet's like the worst. Like you can withstand. I mean, your whole body's the worst if you're wet. Well, yeah, because I mean, his yeah, he was right up to his armpits in water. Not a good time. <laughs> Would not do it again. If uh, I had the choice. <laughs> if you had the choice. Well, I think it's about time we wrap this bad boy up. Uh, it's been good. It was more of a educational. Um, podcast than entertain obviously always entertaining it's a trap yeah but i hope you learned something from this one today we definitely you always learn something listening to the white cat outdoors podcast but uh i mean we we get outside all the time but uh make sure that uh you guys are out there trapping if you have any you know i don't know what the word is but if you're interested in getting into trapping contact us we know quite a bit about trapping we've done pretty well in the past but uh whatever you guys are doing make sure you guys get outside Hashtag trap life. Oh, hashtag trap life. You know what? Actually, another thing, we don't always end it like that. Actually, we always end it like that, but Frank decided not to tell you where he could find us this week. That is true. I forgot earlier. So So before you get outside, step back inside. Yeah, come inside for just a second. Tune in. uh, We'll let Nick tell you to get outside again here in a moment. But if you're looking for us, I mean, you already found us, but if you want to tell your friends to find us, 
Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, at White Cat Outdoors. You can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Spreaker. So check us out. Stitcher. Stitcher is another and one. And YouTube. We have them up on YouTube. Yeah. And www.whitecatoutdoors. I said find us on YouTube at White Cat Outdoors. The website. Find the podcasts yeah. right. on YouTube. <laughs> yep. Also, the website has our podcast. It sure Whitecat. That stands for World Wide Web. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Tom. Nick, tell him to get outside. You get seriously get outside.